fear and doubt come from all different directions, from many different voices. It's our choice which one we listen to. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of faith it takes to climb out of this boredom in, onto the crashing waves, to step out of my comfort zone to the realm of the unknown where Jesus is and he's holding out his hand but the waves are calling out my name in the life it be reminding me of all the times I tried before and failed the waves keep telling me time and time again boy you'll never win you never win the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. The strength it takes to stand before a giant with just a sling and a stone surrounded by the sound of a thousand warriors shaking in their armor wishing they had strength to stand but the giant's calling out my name and he laughs at me reminding me of all the times i've tried before and failed and the giant keeps on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth says do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says this is for my glory. Out of all the voices, out to me I would choose to listen and believe the voice of truth but the stone was not the right size to put the giant on the ground and the waves they don't seem so high on top of it looking down I was so with the wings of eagles when I stopped and listened to the sound of Jesus singing over me different story and the voice of truth says do not be afraid and the voice of truth says this is for my glory the father voice is calling out to me i would choose to listen and believe i will choose and listen and believe the voice of truth There are so many voices today that we listen to that we have to determine 
what is that voice of truth that's guiding us? You know, Job, we talked about last week, was a man that had a lot of voices coming at him in the midst of his disaster. And he had to determine which one he was going to listen to. And today's message is the hard truths about wisdom that's found in Job chapter 28. And I'm going to just read a few verses out of chapter 28. And you've got to have kind of an understanding of where Job is. Job was a man that had everything uh, in his, his grasp. He was a man that feared God. He was a man that honored God. He was a man that was considered righteous. And Satan had a conversation with God, and not that God had to be convinced. And so kind of like to prove that God's power is stronger than the power of this world, uh, he allowed Satan to, to, to put forth a test. And as a result, Job was stripped of everything in his life, he, even all the way down to his health. He was at the bare minimum of survival. He was at a place where only he could uh, understand where he needed to be and where he needed to go. And so he is at that point, and others around him are constantly telling him, Job, just cash in. Just go ahead and curse God and die. And they were one voice after another. The friends that came around him, everything around him was pointing to that. Even his wife, the only recollection of her voice in Scripture was when she said to him, go ahead, uh, Job, and just curse God and get it over with, and you will die. And so here it is. It is a point in his his life where he's trying to figure out where does wisdom come from? And he's trying to figure out as well what's going to happen when he obtains that wisdom, if he can obtain it. There's a difference between intellect and there's a difference between wisdom. As illustrated in a, an old story of a favorite course in the university, the favorite course was a survey of New Testament. It was a favorite course because it had no homework, it had no reading, and it had no test except down to the very last exam, the final exam was one test. And so it was considered a breeze to go to this class and enjoy it. Now you had to be studious. You still had to study in a way and to be prepared because the class members also knew that the last question the question that would be asked on the last exam or that only exam uh, would, be, uh, would be to describe the missionary journey of Paul. So they were prepared. They could study for this class before they ever took the class if they could find ways to understand the missionary journeys of, of Paul. And so that was considered an easy class. Well, a young man by the name of Meathead, that was his nickname because he was a star on the football team. He took the course, and a tutor helped him prepare throughout the semester for that course to get to that final exam. Well, when the day came, uh, Meathead was ready. And so he knew everything about the journeys of Paul and everything that every direction Paul had went. He knew about Philippi. He knew about Thessalonica. He knew about Rome. He knew about Tyree. He knew about Timothy. He knew about Barnabas. He knew about Luke. He knew about Silas. He knew about John Mark. He knew all those that were part of Paul's ministry. But when the final exam was passed out, students in, the, in that spread out to that auditorium seating were stunned 
when they saw for the first time in 25 years, the professor changed the question. <laughs> and the question this time was not to describe the, the missionary journey of Paul, but to critique the Sermon on the Mount that was preached by Jesus. So from chapter 5 in Matthew and Luke and so forth in certain chapters... And so the shock was felt all across the room. <laughs> and the young man, one young man got up, took his blue book, completely blank, walked up, laid it on the professor's desk and walked out. Another one followed suit. Another one followed suit until every class member left except Meathead. He remained. One by one, they all left. Meathead opened his little blue book. He started writing. And for two solid hours, he continued to write. A three-hour block for this final exam. And at the end of three hours, he quit with his writing. Meathead filled the entire book and walked up there, placed it on the professor's desk, walked out the room. Well, that afternoon, the professor, he had two stacks, a big stack of blank books and one filled in. And yet on the outside was a big, bold A+. Well, when he got it back, the students gathered around him. How in the world and what did you say in that answer to that question? That was not what we were prepared to give. He said, just read it. And on the first page was the opening sentence. Who am I to criticize the Sermon on the Mount? Instead, let me tell you about the missionary journeys of Paul. <laughs> A+. plus. Meathead discovered wisdom that day. So let me talk with you about truth about wisdom. Three things. Now in Job chapter 28, beginning in verse 12, Job says this. Where can wisdom be found and where is understanding located? No man can know its value since it cannot be found in the land of the living. The ocean depths say it's not in me, while the sea declares I don't have it. Gold cannot be exchanged for it. Silver cannot be weighed out for its price. Then in verse 20, Where then does wisdom come from? Where is understanding located? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and death say, Where have we have heard of it with our ears? But God understands the way to wisdom. He knows its location. He looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and limited the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and he examined it. He said to mankind, look, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn from evil is understanding. And so this is Job in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his complete struggle. He's realizing that, that, that he cannot buy, manipulate, find wisdom, or have understanding from a spiritual standpoint. And it rests in God. So let me talk with you about the truth about wisdom. There's three things that we want to talk about. First of all is this. Crisis intensifies the need for wisdom. When crisis occurs, we have an intensity to, to gain wisdom. 
so that we can get through that crisis, so that we can make it through, that we can understand it. And if you've gone through crisis over the last year, you understand that. Or most recently, in the midst of that crisis, it intensifies, God, I need help. Help me to understand how I'm to respond in the midst of this pain. In immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, millions of people in the vicinity of New Orleans began asking very simple questions. They were without power, they were without transportation, they were without food, they were without water, and they wanted to know how they were going to survive. And after many days of deteriorating conditions, and we saw it all on the news when that ha happened several years ago, crisis left thousands homeless in huge sports arenas, looters on the street, and government agencies woefully unprepared to deal with the magnitude of such a crisis. And with each passing day, the crisis intensified, and the demands for action grew even stronger from the people who were experiencing it as well as the neighbors who were surrounding them. And eventually, steps were taken to eventually alleviate the needs of Katrina's victims, but not before hundreds had died because of the aftermath of that hurricane. One of the main reasons the storm was so devastating is that the huge percentage of people refused to leave the area when mandatory evacuations were issued. And as the, as the storm was predicted in size and strength, people still remained in the area. Less than a month later, when Hurricane Rita roared through along the Texas-Louisiana state line, the aftermath of that storm wasn't nearly as disastrous. The main reason, most of the people took notice and they evacuated the area. Galveston, Texas was, for instance, hit right after that with the third hurricane. That was the year it was one, two, three punch in the Gulf. 58,000 people in that town at that time of Galveston, Texas, most everyone evacuated after seeing the repercussions of, of Hurricane Katrina and the devastation of Hurricane Rita and now this hurricane coming into them. And yet normally we'd see people begin to make preparations about 48 hours in advance of the storm, but they began making preparations five days out. And even four days from where the storm was to come ashore, it was like a ghost town. People had left. The reason why they had gained wisdom and they had gained understanding from the event of a crisis that occurred to a neighboring group of people and they took heed of that and they acted upon that wisdom. Crisis causes us to act upon the wisdom. For Job, it must have seemed like life had sent him the triple hurricane effect back to back to back with no warning at all. His possessions disappeared at first then his children all died. In a short while, even his body was just plummeted with disease and sickness. It took him a week to gain his voice back in chapter 2, verse 13. And when he started talking, he began to immediately ask for answers to why all this was occurring. He needed wisdom to understand. He needed understanding and wisdom in the face of his suffering. The multifaceted crisis that came into Job's life deeply intensified his need for wisdom. As a crisis intensifies in our life, we have that same need for wisdom. 
Where do I gain help in the midst of this problem? Where can we find wisdom, Job asked. Where does the understanding dwell, Job asked. In such poetic words of the book, Job looks throughout the land of the living. He looks to the sea. He looks to the marketplace. He cannot, it cannot be bought with gold, silver, or any other thing. And Job said, nor can a price be weighed in any measure to gain wisdom. The intensity of Job's analysis builds upon the first word of the last argument and will only be matched by the appearance of God in the closing chapters. And the closing of that chapter, it comes to the, the head where it says, to gain wisdom, you've got to fear the Lord and you've got to abstain from evil. There's really no clearer understanding. And for Job, he was a man that was right, righteous, living justly, fearing God and loving God. And in fact, he was the only one that, that was marked as the person who, who always did the right thing. But yet he was one, at, here was the answer to his, his question. Where does wisdom come from? How, is the, how do I understand it? Well, Job, you've got to first of all fear the Lord. Well, I am fearing the Lord. And second of all, you've got to abstain from evil. Well, I've abstained from evil. So how do I get through this crisis? Crisis intensifies our need for wisdom. Number two, God is our only source of true wisdom. There are great people in our lives. There are people who will grab our hand. They will hug us. They will care for us. They'll come over and sit with us. They will provide for us. They may do meals for us. They may provide money in the times of crisis. There are those people of our lives that they are great people. But unfortunately, as many people that come around, that can help us. It can uplift us. It can encourage us. But we cannot gain the wisdom from all of those people around us. Based on the scripture, wisdom does not come from our neighbors. It comes from God. And as a result of that, God is the source of true wisdom. Job said in, in chapter 28, verse 23, He alone knows where it dwells. Job says, God alone knows where wisdom dwells. Barely concealing his frustration and his anger in the process, he's able to say that. Of course, saying that God is our only source of wisdom won't bring Job's descendants back. It won't bring his possessions back. It won't change his diseased life. After all, how do we gain access to such wisdom? That's the ultimate question. It's not where does wisdom come from, but how do I obtain wisdom in the midst of crisis or in the midst of what I'm going through in my everyday life? Consider this, this illustration of a boy who came home from his first day of school. He dropped his backpack, quickly settled back into much like a summertime life of ease routine. His mother said, do you have any homework for class tomorrow? He looked at her with disbelief and said, you mean I have to go back tomorrow? <laughs> you know, we all need to understand the nature of how God works in our life. We must understand that, that God is not against us. He's for us. And when crisis comes, it's not him to blame. It's not necessarily why has it come, but God, what are you teaching me as this has come into my life? What can I learn and how can I grow closer to you through the midst of this pain? Wisdom is much like that educational process of our life. Wisdom is the goal of education. 
It takes years, day by day, year by year of study and reading and learning to eventually graduate through the educational process. And the same applies to wisdom. It takes days, it takes months, it takes years, it takes experiences, it takes people around us, it takes voices of truth in our life to continue to teach us where wisdom is. Godly wisdom will have to be the, be the tools for us to increase our faith. It would help us to become proactive in our journey in order to prepare us for the days whether they're difficult or whether they're easy, whether we're up against the challenge of making a, a career-changing decision or whether we're facing a death-ridden event. The church holds the people of God. That's why it's so important to be surrounded by church people, to be a part of a church family, because you can look to someone and say, hey, Eric, I've got this problem in my life, or Donna, I've got this problem in my life, Kelly, I've got this problem in my life, and we reach out to them and say, this is what I need help with this week, and you've got someone who upholds you and lifts you up, encourage you, and be behind you and pray for you so that you can gain the necessary wisdom to get through that event, whatever that event is. A person who invests, and this sounds so profound but yet so easy, and it's so easily neglected. The person who invests in reading Scripture, attending church, and applying that Scripture to everyday life has a greater chance of understanding wisdom faster than those who don't. Think about it. You say, well, where does wisdom come from? If God is the true source of wisdom and the Scripture is the voice of truth to us, it is God's wisdom, and we neglect to listen to His Word, then we're saying to Him, I don't need your wisdom, and I don't really want it right now. So the message we send back to God can be very confusing. Lord, we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I don't need your wisdom that you've already paved through the written Word. God is the person who grants to us that wisdom. Gandhi spoke forcibly to Christians when he said, You Christians, you have in your keeping a document with enough dynamite figuratively to blow the entire civilization to bits, to turn society upside down, to bring peace to war-stricken countries, but you read it as if it's good literature and nothing else. Powerful statement, isn't it? Research shows, George Barnes' research shows that half of Americans, actually more than that, 60%, never read the Bible in a typical week. And a full one-third of those are identified as born-again Christians can't find time to read the Scriptures. When people don't heed hurricane warnings and they don't heed the mandatory evacuations, they don't understand the risk that they're taking by staying at the aim and the eye of the storm. People who assume the storms of life aren't coming and who never wrestle with the words of the Bible need to understand the choice that they're making. You can't form a deep relationship with Almighty God in a short few hours of a crisis. 
It's a longevity of life. We must be about the work of getting to know God who holds all wisdom in the palm of his hand figuratively. And he's not selfish. He doesn't want to keep that wisdom to himself. He wants you and he wants me to have more wisdom every day. And that will come only through a long-term dedicated study, like much like the educational process of studying his word on a regular basis. When Solomon penned the Proverbs, he first tackled the subject of finding wisdom. He urged his son to search for it in a way that a miner searches for, for gold or silver, or a way a man might hunt for a hidden treasure. Either task is marked by hours of hard work, sweat, and persistence. Both types of work involve the frightening moments, but if, jo if, if the job is completed, the rewards are worth the work. Search for wisdom like Solomon said, and you will understand the fear of the Lord, and you will find the knowledge of God in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 5. So understanding God is the only source of true wisdom. You know, when we're a child and we're looking up to our parents and we have a question, we ask them a question because we're hoping to get a good answer. Now, sometimes the answer may not be what the child expects, but we respect the fact that our parents have an answer. And we listen to them and we, we abide by them. We do what's right, we do, and we avoid what's wrong. And if we don't, then we face the consequences of, of either or. Well, it's much like we are still that child. And, and God, as Jeff prayed a moment ago, Abba, Daddy, He is our Daddy. And we, as a child, look to Him and we're asking Him the questions. And He's already provided those answers, just like when you find a Scripture for the first time and it just like it jumps off the page of the Scripture hits you right in the face, hits you right in the heart, and you've got your answer, that's that relationship coming to life because we realize that God is the source of that true wisdom. Number three and last, godly wisdom leads directly to godly action. Job knew the sheer understanding and knowledge about God, but he knew that wasn't enough. Real wisdom would lead him to real action. And so the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Ultimately, this is the test of wisdom. Will knowledge of God lead to godly action? Will all the Bible reading actually result in a changed life? That's yet to be determined by you and by me. On August 3rd of 1996, I've been reading over these hurricanes. It's kind of grabbed my attention from time to time. And then this story come, to, come through the, the, the wire as I was reading. August 3rd of 1996, Melvin Hitchens sat on the front porch as he always does every morning, and he reads his scriptures. People and neighbors around him knew exactly what he was doing every morning. After his Bible reading on August 3rd of 1996, this 66-year-old 66 New Orleans resident went to the house, went back into the house, retrieved his 45 caliber handgun, went back outside, 
shot his neighbors, killed Donna Jett as she was sweeping her sidewalk and injured her husband, Daryl Jett, while he was mowing the grass. Family members and na the neighborhood residents testified that Hitchens and the Jets had a running feud over who kept the yard the best in their community and kept it the cleanliness. And somehow he snapped that day. So the question was asked, how in the world could a person go from reading that scriptures to acting in such a violent way? Positive transformation requires application. Positive transformation requires application. So the, the godly wisdom doesn't necessarily lead to direct action if it's not applied for that transformation to occur. As Christians, we live in a wonderful embrace of grace. The death of Christ is about grace. The cross event is about grace. Forgiveness of our sin is about grace. Our debt being paid is about grace. The gifts that God gives us is all about grace. After that initial moment of grace given to us in salvation, the other question follows for the rest of our lives. Will grace make a difference in the way we live? Yes and no. Grace by itself may become graceless if we're not applying what we learn through His Word in wisdom. Imagine a newlywed couple uh, fresh back from the honeymoon and the next night the husband starts dressing to go out for the evening and the wife asks him, where are you going? Oh, I'm going on a date with another woman. <laughs> what is that going to do that marriage? <laughs> Fall apart. You see, how, how, does, how does, as you think about it, if you want to stay married, you've got to apply the truths that keep you married. And there's some things you do and some things you don't, right. right? Bright enough to understand is the commitment that you and I have, much like a bride and groom or a husband and wife has to each other, is that we are committed to one another, we love one another, we have the welfare in mind of one another. Understanding that commitment to each other is much like the same commitment to God, that we love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as we love our neighbor as ourselves, it's all about the application of love through the midst of suffering, through the long debates that we have of why it's there, just like Job would not let go of the instance that he had lived his life in a godly way and it ended up in such a devastating way. His argument is this, as long as I have life within me, this is what Job says in Job 27, verse 3 and 5, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness and my tongue will utter no deceit. I will never admit that you are right until I die. <laughs> I will not deny my integrity. That's a man who has everything wiped out from under him. Nothing's around him. I can tell you, I don't know how I would react if I go to the bank and I'm broke I look and see, and all my children are dead. My wife is gone, and, all she, and when she's there, she's only complaining for me just to cash in and die. And my body be stricken by disease, and I can barely walk, can't even speak for a while, 
and I don't have anybody around me except those friends saying, cash in and die. I don't know how I would react. But Job reacted rightly because he feared God and he depended on God all throughout his journey of life through the good and through the bad. The conclusion of all this is this. As, as you think about what you and I must apply in our life, think about this illustration. Steve May tells the story of Dee, who grew up in an affluent home in East Tennessee. She came from a, an affluent family, but an unchurched family. Dee's time at college involved wild living and, it's, and little study. And yet as she continued to search in college, she was searching more not to learn, but to go from one party to another. One weekend, Dee and her friends uh, got some hotel rooms, and they were coming together to experience drugs and alcohol. And one of the little jokes they had was how much could they steal from all of these hotel rooms and, 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 and keep for themselves? Well, Dee was trying to uh, show off a little bit, so she stole the Gideon Bible. And she won a prize that day from all her friends. Several weeks later, Dee's life began to fall apart. She found out she was pregnant. She thought abortion was the only solution, as it had been already once in her life. And so her boyfriend left her. Dee found herself alone. And one night in the midst of her fear, in all the uncertainty, in the midst of the crisis, she picked up this stolen Gideon Bible and she began to read it. She opened to 1 Samuel, and 1 Samuel's story was about the story of Hannah. If you know anything about Hannah, she was desperately wanting a child. And so it was the first time Dee had ever read the Scriptures, and the words seemed to come to life to her as she read this story. And she found eventually the more she read, the more it was intriguing her. And yet the Christian people started kind of coming around at the right time. We know what that means. And eventually, Dee would accept Christ. And as the years went by, Dee grew closer and closer in her walk with Christ. And by the time that her child was a teenager, both mother and daughter were telling the story to groups as they traveled around the country, telling the story of how a stolen Gideon Bible changed her life. You see, it was a crisis that brought Dee to a point of searching for answers. And it was the Bible that, that she took that provided the answers for her. And immediately the wisdom that she gained would change her life for eternity. So now I ask you the question that I could have asked you a moment ago and would have already been eating. What are you going to be doing today on a regular basis to gain godly wisdom? What are you going to do on a regular basis to gain godly wisdom? Now I can't answer that for you. I think the answer has been provided. And I can't make you do it, and you can't make me do it. It's basically up to us. But once we decide to apply and work through that process of the longevity of study and deepening our relationship with God, we will conclude it was good for our soul. And God will be revealed greater and greater in relationship to each of us. It will show because of the way we react and the way we act, the way we help and the way we love. 
we will see that through our lives together that wisdom has been gained because of the longevity of that relationship. So what are you going to be doing on a regular basis to gain godly wisdom? Let's pray together. Father God, we, we come before you recognizing that the power of the story in, in this part of Job's life is so revealing as, as we learn from his past that he had so many voices around him that were telling him wrong things. And yet he listened to one voice of truth. The voice of you talking to him, granting to him guidance through the midst of his pain so that he could press through and eventually come through in victory. May, Father, we listen to the voice of truth today. Your voice speaking to us, intermingling with the conscious mind and our heart's desires, changing, changing us from the inside out and, and transforming us into that beautiful butterfly metamorphosis that you want us to be. Lord God, thank you for being Abba Father. Thank you for being the God who loves us and cares for us and the God who has all the answers. In your name that we pray, amen. My friend, we want to sing a song, Search Me, O God. We've sung it before a couple of times. And as you sing this song, may it come out a little bit more than it has in the past as you focus on the words as we sing together, uh, Search Me, O God. So let's stand together as a song of affirmation and song of commitment.
Thank you for listening to the Worship Cast, brought to you from Gathering Community Church, located in Surfside Beach, South Carolina. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit our website at www.gatheringcommunitychurch.com. Thank you again, and have a blessed week.